0: Welcome home, this is Audio XP for the 10th of August 2019 and the title of this episode is The Map is on Fire I wanted to begin this episode by talking about your character sheet I figure that if you're interested in geeky gaming subjects then you've got a high wisdom score and you have a high intelligence score but if you're listening to this podcast then you have a high perception score as well because you found it the previous three episodes were only available on SoundCloud and embedded on Geek Native. This is the very first episode that you can listen to on Spotify, or TuneIn, or a few other podcast platforms. Audio XP is not yet on iTunes. We've tried. There's been a submission, and Apple said, Your podcast contains test content, and therefore it's not suitable. Uh I don't remember tapping the microphone and saying 1, 2, 3, test 1, 2, three. but maybe Apple are right. I mean this entire podcast is experimental. We are testing the style and changing the format with each episode. If the last episode was about exploring through fire forests then this episode is a continuation of that. In fact we're now so off the track the map has caught fire. By the way Fire forests is an idea I've stolen from a book called Hyperion by Dan Simmons. It's a, a bit of a sci-fi, uh, a thousand uh, Arabian Nights-style book with stories within stories, and the first story within the story is set on the alien planet of Hyperion, where a brave, adventuring Jesuit priest has to cross through a forest with alien trees that sprout electricity and fire. That priest kept on experimenting until he reached his destination, so we'll do the same thing. We'll keep on testing and changing the format and we'll keep submitting to iTunes and we'll see what happens. The first story in the podcast also happens to be about maps. Imagine being the publisher of the world's most popular role-playing game. Imagine then the next edition of Dungeons & Dragons being hugely successful, waking the internet up, and reclaiming its throne. This is what happened to Pasio. For a while, Pathfinder was the world's most popular tabletop role-playing game. And now, Pathfinder 2 has just been released. I can only Im- imagine that they're under a lot of pressure and have a lot of expectation as well. What they did at Gen Con was publish a two-year roadmap of what the future of Pathfinder looks like. And this was a good idea. I think this is exactly what their fan base needed to see. It is a promise that the game is being supported and there are more books coming. It's also visibility and stability and predictability. Possibly things that attracted people to Pathfinder in the first place. So in 2019 we have the Lost World guides and critical hit decks and the like for Pathfinder 2 coming out. And then come 2020 we move into the um, city of Absalon. This was the centre of the era of Lost Omens, and I think Absalom will become Pazio's own Boulder's Gate, a familiar and recognisable brand within the Pathfinder brand. But Pathfinder 2 isn't the only sequel RPG that has people excited. I'm seeing quite a lot of buzz around the forthcoming release of Slay Industries 2. Uh, the quick start is out now, and it's free. It's 40 pages to download from RPG. We've taken a look, and yeah, it brings back old memories. I played a lot of Slay Industries at university, so that was many years ago, uh, I, but I still remember it fondly. The game is set in a city called Mort, where it rains all the time, and your players are operatives. These are law enforcement agents for sleigh industries who are sent in against the monsters that grow in the sewers, against terrorist organisations, and very often against serial killers. Now, serial killers are a big part of sleigh industries. They are reality TV. They are the TV spectacle that stops people grumbling about the harsh unreality of life and, fo- and distracts them with headlines and glare and gore. What I don't remember so clearly about sleigh Industries is whether it's a World of Darkness-esque setting where people put their heads down and they go about their daily business and believe it can't happen to them, the, the serial killers I mean, or whether it's a more of a cyberpunk setting where people are hanging around in gangs on the street corners and there's neon and there's nightclubs. In my head, I always relate more to uh, sort of Glasgow on a rainy winter night where you've forgotten your bus change and you're wondering how you're going to get home and you have a dangerous walk ahead of you. The quick start doesn't have much on the setting, so I'm looking forward for this refresher in the second edition when it's finally released. I think, though, there's only one setting I really worry about running in, and that's any historic setting. My concern as a player at the table will pop their hand up and say, it didn't happen like that, and then I've ruined everything. But I might be in a water, I might be a bit of a coward. So I spoke to Jameson Proctor and Kimber Vanry, who have a Kickstarter out right now, a, a game called Feast of the Dead, which uses D&D 5e mechanics in a North American 17th and 18th century setting and we asked for some tips and tricks on how to make historical settings more more manageable for, for DMs. Two that spring to mind are character backstories and period snacks. So the idea with character backstories is if your NPCs and your characters have um, important and relevant information attached to them, then it's easier to remember, uh, it focuses the player's intention and it's just easier for everybody to get it right. And the period snacks is just a tasty idea. However, they're utterly beyond me. If I can't order period snacks on Deliveroo, then I don't think I can provide them for my players. And while period snacks might be challenging, at least I've never had a setting go fully legal on me. And that's what's happened to Will Wheaton. Do you remember Titan's Grave, The Ashes of Alcana? That was a role-playing world that Will Wheaton created himself. And it used, I think it was the first to use Green Ronin's Fantasy Age system. And it was a show on Geek and Sundry. I know players include, included people like Hank Green and Laura Bailey. Now the contract Wheaton had with Geek and Sundry was fifty thousand dollars to create the setting, produce the show, edit the show, host the show, and fifty percent of any of the profits thereafter. Now, because it was a profit-related deal, it was important that he was involved in the decisions that the producers and the promoters made. Now, Will Wheaton alleges that Legendary went ahead and struck a number of deals, and that there should be money with those deals, but he has not been able to have a look at the books. So he cannot verify whether or not he's been given his 50% or not, and the implications are that... not very much money has been transferred, and that they are withholding money, and so we've taken it to court. Now, my first reaction when I heard this was, hold on, are you not suing yourself? But of course, I forgot that um, Geek & Sundry, only about two years after it was founded by Felicia Day, it was sold to Legendary. Uh, that's a good business deal by Felicia Day there because that's a, g- a quick sale. They had about 1.4 million fans in YouTube at the time. So this isn't, as far as I understand it, Will Wheaton suing himself or Will Wheaton suing Felicia Day. This is Will Wheaton suing the Hollywood powerhouse that is legendary. And I've seen already in Facebook many people supporting for that decision. Now, a legal fight with a Hollywood powerhouse is a bad situation for any DM to find themselves in. Fortunately, it's not a very common one. A more common problem is the Matt Mercer effect. What is the Matt Mercer effect? Well, it's really when players have an artificial and unnatural expectation of what Dungeons & Dragons will be like, thanks to the absolutely brilliant GMing skills of Matt Mercer of Critical Role. Now, Critical Role, you've not heard about it it's probably the world's most popular Dungeons and Dragons live stream and podcast, it's done by professional voice actors, so no wonder it's uh, awesome and they've been playing together for, for ages and so they're very good with one another and very comfortable and very natural, and it's easy to see how some newbies might take a look at this and wonder, hey are, are Dungeons and Dragons going to be exactly the same thing, and if they're not is that the fault of the, the DM it's on record that Matt Mercer himself really doesn't like that this is happening. In fact, I think he used the phrase heartbroken to describe it. Mercer encourages a session zero where players and GMs can set out their expectations and there's a chance for sort of group harmony and dynamic to, to build. I think that's right, but I think that's quite kind on the players, especially the players who are grumbling about it. Dungeons and Dragons is not a one-man or one-woman show. It's not about the DM doing all the work and then the players just having fun off the back of that effort. It's very easy to forget, or not to know if you're new, that as a player you have responsibility for adding to the story, for doing interesting things, for taking actions that make the story um, expansive and give other players the opportunity for their characters to join in. It's very easy to be a bad player, a player who shuts down options, a player who doesn't create scenes for other people to interact with, and the Critical Role team are good players. They Their characters do interesting things and they create opportunities for the rest of the gaming group to get involved. And if that sounds a bit heavy for you, then I recommend d d memes. This week, Geek Native blogged a whole bunch of D&D memes with the evil Dungeon Master in mind. That brings a total of D&D memes up on the site to 93. So either check them out on the site, or hit Google Geek Native D&D memes, or just D&D memes. There are are thousands out there. And lastly, let's talk about the Blade Runner comic book series from Titan Comics. We have teasers of Episode 1 and Episode 2 now on the site, and I think it's really timely. Cyberpunk is hot right now with the new Mike Pondsmith role-playing game, Cyberpunk Red, and um, Shadowrun 6 edition out at the same time. Uh, I recommend the Blade Runner series so far. Okay, we're only two in, so we don't have the full extent of the story, but it's looking really promising so far. It feels very Blade Runner-esque, but different at the same time, and the artwork is absolutely stunning. So I'm leaving that podcast with that positive recommendation. I hope to see you next week. Bye.